this week, as I was reading back over the, uh, the sixth chapter, as I was reading back over seven specifically, I noticed that the word father was all over the place. Did you guys notice that when we were reading it? It's one of the reasons I wanted to read it out loud. The word father is all, all over the place. In fact, it's in there uh, 19 times. The word father is in chapter 7, 19 times. And then I started laughing because I remembered that today is Father's Day, or today would be Father's Day. And uh, I remembered that last year, I don't know how many of you were actually here, I was in a teaching series called Are You Serious? It was basically um, in John 4, we were talking about what it means to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. We were talking about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And that particular day, it just happened to fall as well. Um, We were talking about when she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say that we should worship here and there, and this whole thing about fathers. And I don't know, I just got tickled because uh, um, here we are today, and uh, the passages I was rereading were just kind of the place where we're at is all about fathers. And one of the things that I shared that day last year that I wanted to reshare today is kind of a a launch pad and a a few things that I hope encourage you, really, um, is the Greek word for father. And not that I'm a very good Greek-speaking person, but the Greek word for father is the word um, patera. It comes from the word pater, which means generator, which makes sense because everything is generated by or originates from the father. Obviously, the heavenly father you look at Malachi chapter 2, it says, Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? So we know our Father in heaven is the one who has generated or has originated everything we know. Us, the trees, the stars, the moon, anything that is was generated or originated in the Father, but also um, the earthly Father. And if you're writing things down, I have a few, few kind of key things that I'd like to to um, share with you and sow into your heart. And you can write them down. You can even write them down in your Bible or if you take notes. Um, so much of who we are and what we possess physically, emotionally, spiritually is generated by our Father. Let me say it again. So much of who we are, both physically, um, spiritually, emotionally, comes to us, is originated, it is generated by our Father and, and comes to us. And depending upon your history with Dad, this could be a very good thing or it could be a very bad thing. Or it could be a really balanced combination of both. And so what I wanted to do is encourage you today from whichever side of the beam you need to be encouraged from. And maybe it is a little of both. Whatever angle it can be applied to you. We know that Stephen, we're here and we're talking about Stephen. This is obviously about Stephen. We know that he was filled with faith. We've talked about that the last three weeks, actually. He was filled with faith and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, this is very important for Stephen, but it's important to bring up about Stephen because it really needs to be um, who we are today. Because anytime you start talking about Father, there's two things that we need to, we need to have. We need to be filled with faith, and we need to have the Holy Spirit. Again, depending upon which angle um, you're coming from. I think, you know, all the way coming back from chapter 6, when they chose Stephen as one of the men to um, oversee the distributing of the food, how he was performing miracles and signs and wonders, and then just reading over this. I mean, 
one of the reasons I read this too is because did you, did you realize how much this guy knows? This dude knew the story. If you, I don't know about in your bar, Bible, but they mark uh, in all uh, um, uppercase whenever he's quoting scriptures. Does y'all kind of indicate when he's quoting scriptures? Dude, that's a lot. The guy knew the story. Granted, the Holy Spirit was filling him up and probably giving him words, but I believe, too, that he was a, a pretty bright guy, and he had studied, and he knows his stuff. He knows the Word of God. But he was desire, ultimately, I think, was to see all of Israel come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wanted to tell people about what he had experienced. He wanted them to be um, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to live that life that God wanted them to do. So Stephen was accused. We see that he's accused of speaking blasphemous words. If you don't know what blasphemous means, that means uh, outrageous words against um, Moses, even against God himself. You see that he was, uh, they were saying that he was speaking weird things about the law and about the holy place and the temple or the worship that goes on there. And so Acts 7, where we're at, starts with the high priest actually, amazingly, giving Stephen an opportunity to defend these accusations against him. Remember who it was that was accusing Stephen. We know that, the, that some men from the synagogue of the freemen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some of the Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with wisdom and the Spirit. We talked about that last week. Verse 11, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And in verse 12, it says that they stirred up the people, they stirred up the elders, they stirred up the, uh, the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. The people could have been all kinds of ages, but we know that the elders, we know that the scribes, and we know that the people that are on the council are people that are more than likely 50 years old and above. These are truly older men. These are truly fathers in the faith. And look what he says. He says, hear me, brothers, hear me, fathers. It's his Jewish fathers in the faith, faith, ultimately, that are bearing false witness against him. And he says, hear me, brothers. But then he specifically says, fathers. And knowing the situation, and if you look and you see the punctuation, it looks like he is about to spew. Look at there real quick. It's the beginning of verse 7. High priest said, are these things so? And if he just stopped right there, kind of in, in the first part of verse 2, hear me, brethren, and fathers, exclamation point. It looks like he is about to spew. And for some people in this room, to address the issue of father, or literally to address your father, what is in your heart to do is to spew. You look at Stephen, and he could have started with verse 51. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised heart and ears people. But he didn't start with that, did he? He said, brothers and fathers. Let me just say this, and please write it down. Stephen honored the heavenly father by honoring his earthly fathers. Uh, Jewish faith, man, it's all about fathers. It's all about the respect that is due the father's name, that paternal kind of a thing. And so to call them fathers in that moment, he was declaring a respect to them. Hey, look, you're accusing me, uh, me of this. I'm standing before all these people. Everybody's watching. I'm just saying, look, you're, you're the fathers. I understand that you are a father of the faith. Faith, he's, he's, he's um, portraying that respect onto them. And then look what he says. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. The God of glory. He's trying to provoke a positive. He just wants them to know the truth. He wants them to know the Lord. 
And then he goes into this long spiel about the patriarchs. So while it's important, he wasn't just saying this. He's trying to appeal, for one, to the accusations they were holding against him, but also that I am true. I am true and true. I'm not trying to do this, do that. This is the truth, and I need you to understand. And he goes through this long exhortation about the patriarchs. It doesn't really matter which side of the ballot's beam that you're on. You want to spew towards your father, or you have a great experience with your father, or something in between. Man, the word is so clear that we are to honor our moms and our dads. Maybe we have different ideas about what it means to honor our father, our mother. We try to promote a positive. We try to, um, with the love of Jesus Christ, we try to um, try to steer the conversation towards positive or at least give a positive and godly uh, response to whatever it is that we may be receiving. I want you to look real quick, if you'd like to turn there, to Deuteronomy 5. And you guys are familiar with this. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and your mother. And I don't think that I'm really telling anybody something they don't know. It's just a general reminder today. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it will go well with you on the land with which the Lord God gives you. And it's, the, it's a command that has a promise attached to it. To me, there's such significant the significance in what the God wants us to be and to do and how he wants to honor. He wants us to honor our parents. He's like, this is so important. If you will do this, it will go well with you and with your family. And I, I want to pause and say, I don't really know exactly um, all the ways that we can honor our, our dads and our moms. I just know that we're supposed to. I think for me, um, and I think I've, I'm kind of on that balance beam of the, of the good and the, and the bad. Most of us probably are because no fathers are perfect. For me, sometimes it's just keeping my mouth quiet. Sometimes it's not responding or uh, rather reacting towards whatever the words are or whatever the ill treatment is or whatever. It's been a lot easier for me since I, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Before, when I was a teenager, it would, you know, it's literally dukes up kind of attitudes. And that's the depth of where your heart is. But then you come to know Jesus Christ and you hear the commands, things like don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't have other gods before you. Honor your mom and your dad. And if you do, it'll go well with you and with your family. And you're like, oh, wow, what does that mean? Because my treatment of my father, my response or my reactions to him all these years have been this. And it looks like a spewing. It looks like the what is that geyser thing that comes out? What are the old faithful? You know, dad speaks and old faithful comes up. <laughs> but I'm a new creation now. And God's trying to steer me in a different direction. Even Jesus used this terminology. I know this may be an obscure place or time for him to mention it. But the fact that he does mention it. One time he's casting out demons and all this kind of stuff. And he says, I, um, and they were saying, you have a demon. Oh, you're casting out demons by demons. He says, I don't have a demon He said, I honor my father, and you dishonor me, you know. But he brings it up right there. I honor my father. So even the principle is something that Jesus had the opportunity. I think that's one of the reasons he was born as as literally a, a human son, so that he can have the opportunity to model those things. And he honored his mother. He honored his father. So right here, really... um, Verse 2 all the way down through verse 44, you see that Stephen is uh, addressing his listeners and he's kind of relaying the history of his people. And one of the things I think he's trying to do is he's trying to, especially right here, you know, he talks about the fathers of the faith because he's saying he, he, um, 
his accusation was he was blaspheming God, he was blaspheming Moses and all this stuff. And he says, no, I'm not blaspheming Moses. Here's what I know to be true about Moses and goes through the whole thing. And whenever he gets down to verse 44, he's, telling, he's trying to address the accusation that, that he was blasphemous and speaking crazy things about the worship that was going on in the temple. Let's read that. Verse 44. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony. This is where they would perform their, their worship and their sacrifices, which is, is the tabernacle. So here in verse 44, he's trying to address that accusation. He said, our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the, in the wilderness. Let's talk about the temple thing. Let's talk about the worship that goes on there. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern with which he's seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon disposing the nations who drove who God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found uh, favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for God, the God of Jacob. Then he says, but it was actually Solomon who built a house for him because Solomon's the one that, uh, that built the temple. David wasn't allowed to. It was Solomon. And in verse 48, he says, however, the most high God, and this is where he's trying to say, but you need to know something even more than just these historical facts. You need to know the current truth. And he says, however, the most high God, even by him saying most high God is saying, I'm not blasphemous. I want to honor God with everything that I am. And you need to know what God has done in my life. Just because I'm following Jesus Christ doesn't mean I honor God any less, which is what they were saying. Believe Jesus, you're a blasphemer. You're off because he's not the Messiah. He's trying to say he is the Messiah. And I'm on track. And I want to tell you the truth. Look what he says. The Most High God does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what places is there for my repose? Was it not my hands which made all these things? And he's about to go into this whole oration. And I believe, tell them that your body is God's choice for a new dwelling place. This old way of doing things, which was great for the time, is done. He has completed the process, and now your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the place that God's glory dwells. You need to know this, people, because if you don't, you're not going to be um, in one of the greatest, um, uh, you're not going to experience the greatest part of our faith. Patriarchs, you had a good thing going, but look what God has done now. Jesus Christ has come. He is the Messiah. Now, I don't know if when you read this, if you picked up on this, says how I, uh, he's going through this thing. My, uh, he's quoting a little bit of scripture right there. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, you stiff-necked people, huh, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. A lot of scholars believe that he was actually interrupted right there. He's given this rundown on the history, which all the people there would have known, most of them. And he gets to this thing about worship. And we know Jesus was emphatic about a worship that is spirit and truth. It's not about this mountain or that tabernacle or this temple or that. Remember the conversation that he did have with the Samaritan woman? These are the things that Stephen knows and realizes has been communicated to him through the apostles. Truth that has penetrated his heart which is what he wants to do to the people. And so he tells his stuff, builds his case. I'm not blasphemous. I'm not doing away with that, but I understand that Jesus Christ has fulfilled it. Now let me tell you the truth. 
you know, maybe the two dialoguers were there or writers and the guy that was writing the stuff that the priest said fell asleep or something. I don't know. But a lot of scholars really believe that there was an interruption in here. And maybe not literally by words, but maybe at the very least, Stephen is speaking and he sees all the people and he sees all the scribes and he sees all the Pharisees sitting on their high stool on the council. And he sees their, maybe their, um, their posture and their faces and their words. And they start this and that. There's this big commotion. And maybe simply by their actions, they interrupted him. And maybe by the sermon of the, you know, through the Spirit, he, he realizes this isn't getting through. And he changes the conversation. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and in your ear, always resisting the Lord. You are doing just as your fathers did. And as I was reading over this several times, really, kind of with the thought of father in mind, I felt very strongly just to give a few simple words of encouragement today on Father's Day, um, specifically to sons and fathers. So there's a lot of men in this room, a lot of sons and some fathers. And ladies, just because you are of the female gender and not of the male gender, it doesn't mean that this doesn't apply or can't apply in one form or fashion. If you look at Matthew 11, I'm going to show you two scriptures. Write them down. You can turn there if you want to. Matthew 11, verse 27. If you're taking notes, then you can write also John 5, 19 and 20. And they're going to be up on the screen as well. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then you look at John 5, verses 19 and 20, actually. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And obviously, Jesus is talking about the, re, the unique relationship that he has with the Heavenly Father and his specific directive that he was sent to the earth to do. I understand that, you know, the coming and dwelling among men and speaking the truth, showing them the way to the Father. But within these verses, Matthew 11, John chapter 5, 19 and 20, you can also see kind of an eternal truth and an eternal principle that points, uh, that is pointed out about the Father, the generator of all things, that which um, is the originator and, and everything comes from. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, John Paul II, Pope John Paul. You guys might be familiar with this quote. It says, as the family goes, so the nation goes, and so goes the, world, the whole world in which we live. Everybody, anybody ever kind of heard that quote or something like it? Well, I thought about that quote, um, but I kind of rearranged it and put my own words in because I think this is true, and you can write this down. As goes the Father, so goes the Son. As goes the Father, so goes the Son. And just a couple simple questions for the men in this room um, based upon that. Look, again, you have that principle. You read, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. In other words, all things have been put into my hands. What has been put into my hands has been given to me by my Father. 
Then he says in, in uh, Matthew, he says, and no one knows or no one is intimately acquainted with the Son except for the Father. And nor does anyone know or is anyone intimately acquainted with the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son reveals to him. In other words, um, whom the Son reveals the Heavenly Father is also who will be acquainted with him. You see this whole principle going. Look at John. Same thing. Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees, watches the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him, reveals to him all the things that his Father, or that he himself is doing again, unique relationship being described and talked about, but that principle that as goes the Father, so goes the Son. And I just, a couple of questions I had in my, in my head, in my heart to ask today for you sons is what kind of son are you? What kind of son are you? Considering your history, which is what Stephen was doing, let me, let me just show you the history of our people here. Let me just show you the history of of our fathers. And when he sensed that they were not being moved by the Holy Spirit or they were resisting the truth, Holy Spirit sometimes is called the Spirit of Truth. He just, he had to address them for what was right. Look at the kind of son you're being. You're being stiff-necked. You are being uncircumcised in both heart and ear. He says, just like your fathers. You are doing just as your fathers did. What kind of son are you? Again, it can depend on what kind of history you had. Good, bad, balance of both, one or the other. We will naturally act in like manner, both the good and the bad character traits of our dads. Just like it says here, the son also does in like manner. We will act in like manner, both the good and the bad character traits of our dads. Just a sub-question to the other question, what kind of son are you? What are the good things about your dad that you want to pass on? I think it's something good to think about, especially for you guys that are um, already fathers. You know how, you know how important this, this season of life is. You have a son, you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I remember the first time um, my uh, oldest son, Aiden, said, dang it. I was like, whoa. I mean, obviously, it's stuff he's probably heard Melissa say a thousand times. But I was just like, God, I can't believe that he would say that. I'm just saying. Obviously, I'm not generating that kind of... No, I'm kidding. And, and not just that, but just things that we say and things that come... You guys, fathers, how many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like, did my son just say that? Where would he have heard that? <laughs> but what are the good things about your dad that you want to pass on? And I think... Um, that's one of the things early on. You know, we always grow up uh, as mothers and fathers, and people are going to be married, people are going to be, you know, mothers and fathers. And we always kind of make the list. You know, I'm, you know, I'm never going to treat my kids like that. And we have this kind of list that we take note of. How do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to do that. The way my mom and dad did that, blah, 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 I'm not going to do that. There's a, hopefully, some of us have made also a list. And when Melissa and I do premarital counseling, um, one of the things we talk about is family and maybe um, wounds that come from moms and dads that, that we really want to cut off and shut off so that we don't pass those on to our kids. Why? Because as goes the father and the mother, um, so goes the daughter and the, and the son. 
We have them make a list of things that they really love about their parents that they want to bring into their parenting. And uh, fortunately, there's always a, a good-sized list, you know, some really neat qualities. But we also ask them to make a list of the things that they don't want to carry into their, um, their parenting, into their marriage and into their parenting. And uh, usually that list is equally as long. And um, we praise those positive things, but sometimes we have to work through some of those negative things because they come out. And uh, Melissa and I have definitely seen um, as goes the son stuff in our family, in our life. And, and it's always hard to, diff, uh, to deal with. Um, what kind of son are you, are you? What are the good things about your dad that you want to pass on? And I think it's equally important to make a list. What are some of the things that are not so good, that are bad, that you want not to pass on, that you want to, to cut off? And he's dealing with these people. He lists this stuff. He, over here back in verse 40, 41, 42, 43, um, he's talking about the idolatry that's going on, the idol worship. He begins addressing the worship. Then he gets over here, and as soon as he talks about the true worship, they get real obstinate, real stiff-necked. And that's when he says, you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in your ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. That word stiff-necked, it's, uh, you guys familiar with William Tyndale? The Tyndale Bible is a really old version of the Bible. He's the one that actually started using that phrase there. He, he translated that, whatever that original Greek is or whatever, as stiff neck because it, it's, it talks about um, an ox who will, not, who will not go with the flow of the yoke. You know, he will not work together with another. He will not work together with whoever the, the um, plowman is or whatever, the master. An obstinate person, a stiff neck. It's like, ah. So... For them to be described like that is even worse. Like, what are you saying? Circumcision, we know the importance of that. Circumcision is their way of um, um, sealing the covenant with God. That, that, you know, if you know anything about the, the covenant God made with Abraham, it was a sign and it was a seal of the covenant God made with his people, that everlasting covenant. Circumcision was a sign and a seal that they were God's people, something that they were very proud of. He says, you're uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears. There's also a type of, uh, of the purity and the holiness to the law. Not only are you not acting like God's people, you're not even adhering to the law. So he's basically calling them hypocrites. You guys are not anything like what you say you are. That Second Timothy verse, you know, having a, having a form of godliness but denying the power. That's exactly what you guys are. And what he's saying is, you are acting just like your fathers, just like your dads. You're doing just as your fathers did. And I think, as I was reading this and, and hearing it, I thought, wow, what an encouragement to me and hopefully to our guys, not just the ones that are already fathers, but the ones who are becoming fathers, to pay close attention to the good and to the bad that our fathers were and did. Why? So that we can build up a list of offenses and call dad and say, you know, dad, you were, and you were, Ugh. no, that's not, that's not it. Though some, most of us have done something like that. A couple reasons, I think one, so that, you know, when dad does this, he is, he is dishonoring me and he is bashing me or he's doing this or whatever. And pray about how to honor God in that. 
by honoring your father. Maybe by having some sort of a plan, you know, a counterattack or at least, you know. But I think more than that is so that you yourself will not follow in the footsteps. There's a lot of good about my dad. My dad was a, um, was a hard worker. He was one of those that followed the footsteps of my grandpa. He was a hard worker um, and worked from the time he was, you know, a little kid. He went through the Navy and, um, you know, wasn't discharged or kicked out or AWOL or anything like that. He, he made it through. He's like, good, good job, Dad, you know, and he'll tell you the story. Underneath the water on a submarine for how many days? 77 days. Sounds like a book, you know. And so... But growing up, my dad, you know, my dad didn't have an education, but he always did what he had to do to work. He always got up early and never really heard my dad complain about, oh, work, I just, I got to do it. If you weren't here, I wouldn't have to feed you. It wasn't anything like that. He got up, he, he did what he did um, and was faithful with that. And he had several, you know, a few different major jobs. And I believe God honored him, honestly, um, even though he didn't have an education, he ended up um, getting a job with, uh, with the government through the, um, the post office, which may sound cheesy, but that's actually a really good job. You know, my dad worked for the post office. And in the later parts of our, of our childhood, he provided very well for us, you know, not extravagant, but we ate and we had, you know, running shoes for track and all those kinds of things. So another thing, my dad, you know, he always, uh, he always showed, up for, uh, showed up for baseball games. He showed up for track meets and all those kinds of things. And he always had good things to say, you know, he, um, good job, you threw it good, you ran fast, you are a winner, you know, stuff like that. That's about the extent of, you know, that, you know, it's not like he picked me up over his head and, you know, pushed me around, but there's some good things about my dad, you know, but there were some things about my dad that just really are, are really off as it pertains to one who should be generating certain things. Never heard I love you. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, that's interesting. As a kid, you wonder about that because maybe you see, you spend the night with your friend, and you hear their dad say, love you, son, kiss on the cheek or whatever. And you're, you're in this, you know, laying on the floor watching that guy's dad give him a kiss. And you're like, weird. That's what you think in the moment. Like, ew. But something in your heart's like, wow. So never heard much of that, you know. Just several different things about my dad that, that uh, could have been different. And one of the things going into our... our um, our marriage, Melissa and I talked about, and she could tell you her own thing about the generator in her life. There's a list of things like, you know, we're not going to be like that with our kids. We're going we're gonna to be affectionate. Never had hugs and kisses and, and um, um, I love you. Never, it wasn't in our house. And so, and I'm actually by nature a pretty affectionate person, so you can understand um, what that was maybe even missing for me because it was kind of my love language, you know. And Melissa and I, we talked about that. You're like, we're going we're gonna to love on our kids. We're going to kiss them. We're going to... We're going to love. I love that about Justin and Rachel with little Ethan. They're so affectionate with him. They give him kisses on the cheeks, on the forehead, on the mouth, whatever. And it's not inappropriate. It's absolutely appropriate. Because they're generating this healthy display of love and affection. The kid's going to know that dad loves him and supports him and will be there for them. For him, all of those things. But we can also, we can also um, not respond to the Holy Spirit in our life who counsels us. <laughs> Holy Spirit's my counselor. I don't know who you go to. But not responding to the Holy Spirit 
resisting the Holy Spirit. And what do we do? We turn out to be just like that. Or just like whatever the circumstance was. Whether it be no affection, no I love you's, no kissing. And go as far as abuse. Some of you have experienced abuse one way or the other. Verbal, physical, sexual. Boys and girls. And you're at this moment where you where the Holy Spirit's speaking to you in your life, especially if you're young. You just he's just like wanting to shape your the rest of your life so much, and he's probably speaking to you more now. He's trying to set the pace for you. Not that he's not gonna speak to you when you're older. There's something about when you're first saved, man. It's like revelation after revelation after revelation. It's all so new and fresh and lovely. He speaks to you. And you have the choice. Am I gonna resist? What God's speaking to my heart specifically today I'm talking about? What kind of a son are you? Because to resist is to be stiff-necked. I'm not going to work with my master here. No, I'm not going to be yoked to this or yoked to that. Jesus is like, why? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want to help you plow a field, plow a road that is straight, that you can plant seeds in, that will bear so much fruit that I will be pleased with, that you will be pleased with, and for the generations to come will be pleased with. As a father, as parents, we have to make that choice. Does that make sense? It's difficult because we start making our list. It's, it's all kinds of stuff because we remember specifically the words. We can say the exact words with the exact attitude and facial expression in which he said them. And it's so close to our heart. He's like, listen, that's why there needs to be a circumcision of the heart. Cut that off. Cut those things off that aren't there. That's what he told the people. You are an uncircumcised people. Heart in your ears. You won't listen and you won't deal with the things that God's trying to deal with you in this moment. What kind of son are you going to be? He was accusing them of being a hypocrite. Of saying I'm this and saying that, but we carry those things so deep that we don't uh, address them at all. As goes the father, goes the son. I think, too, um, very similar question, but kind of flip-flop. What kind of son are you going to be? How are you going to act? How are you going to walk? Are you going to be stiff-necked? Are you gonna... Because however you act is the way that your children are going to act one way or the other. And so the second question would be, what kind of father are you going to be? Are you going to be the kind of father that, uh, again, stiff-necked, doesn't listen, doesn't respond to the Holy Spirit's work? You're not going to go to church, be fed, know how to, um, know how to hear God's word, know how to um, row that straight word, row, know how to plant seeds. Listen, what kind of father are you going to be? Because the kind of father that you're going to be is going to dictate the kind of son that your son will be. And because it's hard to change our ways, it's hard not to resist the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're so prideful. We're so arrogant thinking that we've got all the answers. That more than likely, generation upon generation of alcoholics, abusers, this, that, 
And the list goes on and on. Generation. Now, I don't have time to go into to, you know, all that the Word says about how things can be passed on and passed on. But I can tell you this. The anointed one has come to break the chains. To set the captives free. Whatever you think may be attached to you can be cut off by the power of Christ and his resurrection and walked out towards a straight row by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. I am in the process of my life of rowing a straight row. Every now and then, I try to become that stupid, stubborn ox again. Fortunately, walking with the Lord, as long as I have now, I can recognize it every time. And if I don't recognize it, you can bet my wife will. You know, she'll let me know. But I'm walking, and there are times where I just want to, oh, I don't want to respond with holiness right there. I don't want to respond in righteousness. And and sometimes you end up walking, you know, however long it takes you to respond. is that far off the row you are. And however long that takes is how long the sun watches you off that row and begins to take that into his own person. It's like, oh, that's who my dad, that's who my dad is. Oh, okay. Because I thought he was the, the preacher guy or I thought he was the Sunday school teacher guy or I thought he was the life group leader guy or I thought he was the one that does it. You guys hear what I'm saying? Not that any of us are perfect, but we can, we can choose to respond to the Holy Spirit, to submit to him and let him counsel us and comfort us and deal with us to where we can um, mow a straight road or row. When Jesus says, uh, back over here, he says, all things have been handed over to me, to me by my Father, no one knows Son, except for the Father, no one knows the Father except the Son, anyone whom the Father wills to reveal. And then in John, he talks about showing him all things. And it just makes me think of uh, um, our response, or our responsibility, rather, to, um, to reveal God to our children, to our sons, to show um, God to our sons. In fact, that word reveal is it's very, actually way more animated than just show or reveal. It's a very animated word. It means to uncover, lay open that which has been veiled or covered up, to make bare, to make known, to appeal to some of you charismatics. It means to make manifest, however you want to say it. That is, that is our responsibility is to reveal to our children who God is. Not that we even know perfectly, but all the more reason to get on gear, to get on track. Try harder. If we're not trying, it's not happening very good at all. At least try. There's a better chance of holiness being worked out and walked out in our life and then passing that on to our our kids. To reveal, to uncover, to make known, to make bare, to show, to manifest uh, who God is. And that's our responsibility. Look at Psalms 78. It says, for he, verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. Let's stand.